0: Let's now take our Bibles for this morning's Scripture reading, which is taken from Isaiah chapter 34, Isaiah chapter 34, and we're going to read the whole chapter. Draw near, O nations, to hear, and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear and all that fills it the word and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their host. He has devoted them to destruction and has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. All the hosts of heaven shall rot away and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. For my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom, upon the people I have devoted to destruction. The Lord has a sword. It is sated with blood. It is gorged with fat with the blood of lambs and goats with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Wild oxen shall fall with them, and young steers with the mighty bulls. Their land shall drink its fill of blood, and their soil shall be gorged with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch, and her soil into sulfur. Her land shall become burning pitch. Night and day it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever, but the hawk and porcupine shall possess it. The owl and the raven shall dwell in it. He shall stretch the line of confusion over it, and the plumb line of emptiness. Its nobles, there is no one there to call it a kingdom, and all its princes shall be nothing. Thorns shall grow over its strongholds, nettles and thistles in its fortresses. It shall be the haunt of jackals, an abode for ostriches, and wild animals shall meet with the hyenas. The wild goat shall cry to his fellow. Indeed, there the night bird settles and finds for herself a resting place. There the owl nests and lays and hatches and gathers her young in her shadow. Indeed, there the hawks are gathered, each one with her mate. Seek and read from the book of the Lord. Not one of these shall be missing, none shall be without her mate. For the mouth of the Lord has commanded, and his spirit has gathered them. He has cast the lot for them. His hand has portioned it out to them with the line. They shall possess it forever. From generation to generation, they shall dwell in it. Our text this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 35, and so we will read that as well. Strengthen the weak hands, and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way even if they are fools they shall not go astray no lion shall be there nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it they shall not be found there but the redeemed shall walk there and the ransom of the lord shall return and come to zion with singing everlasting joy shall be upon their heads they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sign shall flee away. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Jesus Christ, have you ever had this experience? Maybe when you were younger of great joy, great anticipation, great excitement, that maybe a relative or a friend was coming over. I remember when I was young, I, I, I received amazing news, great news from my mother. Grandma was coming. Well, straight to the window I went with my face pressed against the glass, waiting to see my grandma. Even though she would not come for another four hours, I was filled with excitement that my grandma was coming. And maybe you've had this excitement before, maybe as you were about to meet some friends, maybe there was a big party or celebration you were going to, maybe you had just received a a new job, a new promotion that would change your day-to-day, your future circumstances. That feeling is a happy one. It's happy, uh, it's joyful, because we know something great is about to happen today we are looking at a text that is is bursting forth with joy and hope and anticipation and this hope this joy is not merely something we wait for but also something we can experience this very morning so today we're going to be looking at isaiah chapter 35 as isaiah teaches us about joy He teaches us that in three ways, in anticipating joy, by experiencing joy, and living in everlasting joy. So the first thing Isaiah teaches us about joy is about anticipating joy. See, in the book of Isaiah, it's it's really a fascinating book. It's a very amazing book. And often it is the case that when we are reading Isaiah, we are compelled to look forwards and backwards, seeing how all of scripture connects together. And if we really want to see what Isaiah is trying to say in chapter 35, we need to go back. We need to look at all the previous chapters to get a better sense of what is unfolding before us. You see, during the time of the prophet Isaiah, Israel was in an incredibly weak and fragile state. They were divided and they were unfaithful to God. We see that in the opening of Isaiah where the prophet says in verse chapter 1, verse 2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Now look here. God addresses his people as children. The first thing the Lord calls his people before he gives judgment, before he gives condemnation, the first thing that is emphasized is God's relationship with his people. A father with his children. God's children that he himself has brought up, and now they have gone and rebelled against him. And that is something many of us can empathize with today in our, in our modern age when, when parents and children have a falling out. If they fight, if the children rebel against their parents, what often happens is the children move out. They go to live under their own house, their own rules, so to speak. And the result of that, that breaking of a relationship is, is an alienation between the parents and the children. That experience, is, it's a sad one. It's heartbreaking. So Israel is dealing with a very serious problem. They are first and foremost alienated from God. And now secondly, to top things off, Assyria has come in and ransacked everything in the land except for the city of Jerusalem. We see, for example, in Isaiah 36, verse 1, that the king of Assyria, came against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So it would be taken as shockingly good news to hear the words of Isaiah in verses 1 and 2 where it says the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Israel, in many ways, would have felt hopeless, frightened at the powerful armies breathing down their necks between the Assyrian armies to one side and the kingdom of Edom to the south. These first two verses open with good news. The dry desert land shall become a land that flourishes. We are also introduced to three cities here. Lebanon, Carmel, and Sharon. The people of Isaiah's time viewed these cities with respect because of how great and how powerful they were. They saw these cities as big and beautiful and majestic. For example, what made the the city of Lebanon so glorious was its amazing trees and vegetation. It was a, a prosperous city, and it really did flourish. And even though a prosperous city is amazing to marvel at, God is promising to do something even greater. God is going to take this wilderness, this this dry desert land, which represents all of Israel's failures, their failure as as a kingdom, their failure of staying united, and ultimately their failure to honor and worship their God, the God of all the universe. And so God steps in, and God promises joy. God promises his growth. And because of the Lord, there will be rejoicing. There will be gladness and singing. Beautiful life will blossom. Life will spring forth from the dry ground. Even beautiful things like the the crocus, it's a flower, will grow from what was once dry desert. Then verse 3 and 4 comes in saying, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. In light of the coming joy, Isaiah then calls for his people to have strength. He tells them to to be strong and to, to fear not, which is an encouragement It reminds us of Moses who who told the people of Israel to to be strong and courageous for the Lord was with them. So first we're given a command here in Isaiah to be, to, to not fear, do not fear. But why? Why are we not supposed to fear? How can we not be fearful with such evil, with such enemies? Isaiah then gives an answer in the next line because the Lord will come with vengeance, because the Lord is coming to save you. We see the promise of vengeance being prophesied about in chapter 34 as well. We read in chapter 34 verses 8 through 10, and Isaiah speaks about these great judgments that will come upon Edom. Israel's enemy to the south of its border. It speaks about in these verses that Edom will be reduced to soil and sulfur forever. God will have his vengeance. Nothing will grow. Edom will be turned from once a prosperous nation into barren wilderness. And Israel will go from wilderness, from exile, into prosperity. This is all why Isaiah can say to fear not. Because ultimately, God is promising to return to Israel, to return to his people. God is coming to save his people. The excitement, the anticipation, the expectation, the encouragement all comes through this waiting for the Lord, having faith in God, true faith that the Lord will faithfully do what he promises. There will be suffering in the wilderness, that's guaranteed. But justice and joy are promised, and they are coming. And to underline this story, uh, to underline this point, a story might help. In, in 2011, 25 years following an unsolved murder of a, a particular woman, the woman's brother came out in the media and publicly and falsely confessed Of the crime. Well, because of the confession, the police had to arrest the brother, and all the media attention made them once again examine the cold case. And because 25 years had advanced, technology had advanced, they were able to do DNA testing. And through that DNA evidence, they were able to find the true killer, and the original brother was set free. See, this brother had enough faith in the legal system to suffer through a small amount of prison time so that true justice could take place. And when justice did take place, true rejoicing happened. Today, we also suffer in many ways. We may feel at times that we are in the wilderness. We are in real trouble. We are in real sorrow. Yet we do not suffer for nothing, for we look to the coming of joy, to the second coming of Jesus, who is seated on his throne and who is coming again. Jesus, who promises to judge the wickedness of man, to bring vengeance to his people. Our Savior Jesus will return, and he promises that all tears will be wiped away. So be strong. Fear not. For the Lord is with you always. The second thing Isaiah teaches us about joy is about experiencing this joy. And waiting for something good to happen, for something joyful to happen, is very different than feeling it for yourself. Watching uh, an airplane take off down the runway on, on TV or in real life is very different than you being in that airplane, feeling it take off down the runway when john the baptist had some doubts if if jesus was the messiah if he was this coming joy and uh, he sent a messenger from prison in matthew 11 verses 2 through 5 we read this now when john heard in prison about the deeds of the christ he sent word by his disciples and said to him are you the one who is to come Or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. In this passage, Jesus' response to John's messenger were basically the words of Isaiah 35, verses 5 through 6. In other words, Jesus was telling this messenger, see for yourself the very words of God through the prophet Isaiah are coming true. In quoting Isaiah, Jesus was also appealing to the the human senses, the senses. People could really see real renewal and restoration happening. They could hear it in the gospel being preached. They could see it. And for some who accepted, it, they could really feel it. Throughout scripture, God uses visible signs, visible things to show us deeper truths. When sickness is healed, we naturally see that as a good thing. We know that it is good because we have all felt sick before. We know how painful it can be when we are not sick well therefore when jesus comes and he brings healing crowds start to follow him people are glad but when jesus is questioned about the uh, from the pharisees when he's questioned about who he's interacting with jesus answers them he says those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick i have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. When people feel sick, they want a doctor. What Jesus really exposes about man is that we are all sick. And the symptoms, our senses can see it, it's right in front of us. Our tongues, they slander, they lie. Our eyes, they, they look upon people with, uh, and things with envy and lust. Our heads, they become puffed up and prideful with knowledge, and our hearts are held captive by idols, careers, children, money. This evil is something you can see in others. It's something you can see in yourself. It's something you do, and this wicked nature that we have does more than make us spiritually sick, but it actually puts us under God's condemnation under God's wrath God will punish sin that is why we need to experience true healing to take heart the good news of Jesus who fulfills the words of Isaiah here is the God who came to save us Jesus's healing is available to everyone who trusts in him and his work Our sickness of sin is removed. Our relationship with our heavenly Father is restored. And we become like the people in Isaiah. Our eyes open and we see the majesty of Christ. We open our mouths and sing. And we sing his praises because we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. In Isaiah 35, verses 6 through 7, it talks about water. It says this, For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. Water. Water is mentioned a lot throughout Scripture, in the Old and New Testament. And for good reason. God created water. And God created everything that lives. And everything that lives needs water. People, plants, animals, even things too small to be seen need water to survive. It is water, for example, that lubricates the workings of the cell transporting the materials and uh, molecular machinery from one area to the other, facilitating chemical reactions that keep us going. Simply put, if if there's no water, there's no life. And not only does water sustain life, but water causes life to flourish, to grow, to be renewed. In the Exodus, God uses water... To make a way for the people, for Israel, as they escaped out of Egypt. It was God who made a way for his people. In Isaiah, God uses water to completely change the landscape. What was once barren has become a place where life grows and people rejoice. In the New Testament, Jesus spoke about water quite a few times. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus specifically mentions this idea of living water first with his encounter with the woman at the well but secondly at the feast of booths in john chapter 7 so we read in john chapter 7 verses 37 through 39 it says this on the last day of the feast the great day jesus stood up and cried out if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. In this encounter... Jesus speaks about an even greater kind of water. Jesus is the source and giver of living water, and the one who believes in him will never thirst. The living water, the water that springs forth into the wilderness, is the Holy Spirit, the giver of life. Those of us that believe in Jesus Christ have the Holy Spirit working in us at this very moment. You can observe it. You can sense it. You can experience it for yourself in that the faith that you exhibit in Jesus manifests itself in an outward thankfulness. If you truly give yourself over to Christ completely, that is going to change how you act. And how you act towards others is something people can sense. Today, we can be transformed by the living water, the Holy Spirit, who draws us to Christ. As it says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. When we receive the Spirit, it is like the dry desert ground receiving fresh living water. Life grows and flourishes. So walk with God live faithful lives as we look to our Savior Jesus who faithfully saves us from all our sin. Jesus is our joy who we can experience. That brings us to our third thing that Isaiah teaches us about joy. The third thing Isaiah teaches us about joy is about living in it, living in everlasting joy. In the final verses of the chapter, it says in Isaiah 35, Verses 8 through 10, it says, And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Now that the land and rivers, no, now that the land has rivers and reeds in the land that was once dry, the Lord continues to work. A highway will come across the land and this this highway is called the way of holiness, the way of holiness. It's this major road and it's mentioned a few times in Isaiah. For example, in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 16, it says, And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. This highway in Israel is for pilgrims and exiles to to peacefully travel on to Zion, so that God's faithful can come out from their nations and go and worship our Lord. And Isaiah teaches us that this way of holiness also provides safe travels for the remnant to be saved from their enemies. It says that even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Isaiah here is trying to get the point across that the root and arrival does not depend on human ability ultimately, it is God that is bring us, bringing the flourishing. No evil can triumph over the way of holiness that God has established. This is a highway, a major path for God's redeemed people. And our God, he's an awesome redeemer, isn't he? He who redeems his people from captivity in Egypt, but also God redeems his people by exercising his judgment. And he will judge Remember, as Isaiah writes earlier in verse 4, Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Or even earlier in Isaiah 34, verse 8, it says, Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Oh, sorry, excuse me. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Now, often when we read books, we tend to assume the story is happening chronologically. But as I mentioned earlier, Isaiah does not always read chronologically. You see, we can read Isaiah chapter 34, see the judgments, and then we turn to Isaiah chapter 35 and see the rejoicing that comes from God, and we may think that one event is followed by the other. In other words, first comes vengeance in chapter 34, then comes joy and restoration in chapter 35, but in reality, Isaiah 34 and 35 are complementary chapters. They are depicting simultaneous scenes. Wrath and destruction stand side by side with joy and restoration. If you were to begin by reading Isaiah chapter 35 first, then you moved on to Isaiah chapter 34, second our understanding of the text would not change. What Isaiah concludes with is two visions, two paths that can be traversed. And these paths are not simply between everlasting joy and our joy. The path is not between submitting to Christ or submitting to our own desires. The choice is not even between everlasting joy and just remaining neutral. Our choices, when you really get down to it, are this either the joy that comes with being restored by God through the ransoming of Jesus Christ on the cross, or the punishment for your sins, which is death and destruction. As it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, it says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, with his mighty angels and flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Restoration or desolation. Either you will be redeemed by Christ or judged by Christ. One, uh, a wonderful dream that comes true. The other, a horrible nightmare that never ends. Chapter 35 of Isaiah then concludes with this line. And it really is a beautiful line. Just listen to it. Try to visualize it. And here's what it says. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sign shall flee away. Behind all the, the beauty and the glory and the joy and the gladness that rest upon the redeemed and ransomed like a crown is the suffering and death of God's own Son, Jesus Christ, The one who ransoms us is also the one who redeems us and jesus came back from the dead and he is coming again and when he does there will be everlasting joy and gladness this is not a joke but a true gospel message of joy we do not have a future of mediocrity but majesty in christ and in Christ, we will not dry up in the desert, but be devoted completely to Him. So let us run boldly to be like those who are spoken about in Revelation chapter 14, as it says in verse 1, Behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with Him 144,000, who had His name and His Father's name written on their foreheads. And later on it goes on, it says, It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. Our earnest prayer for those of us in the church is to be counted as one of Christ's precious sheep. Those who follow him around wherever he goes. But until then, we can still experience Christ working in us now, working in us today today as we wait with a great hope, a great joy, that Christ will come again, both in judgment, yes, but also in everlasting love. Amen.